blessing to be here this morning and to have you joining us for our services this morning. So welcome to each of you. Our scripture reading is in Ephesians chapter 5. It's the whole chapter 1 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 21. Let's turn there. If you don't have your own Bibles, ushers have Bibles available. You raise your hand and they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Our version, our custom here at Sweet Communion is to read, do all our reading and preaching from the ESV, and so I'll be reading there this morning. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there, no be, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes from, excuse me, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of being speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May God give us wisdom as we're instructed in God's word today. Today, it's the Sunday, the fifth Sunday of the month that we take time to do, to do a couple of things. One is um, this day, the morning, Brian will be speaking instead of me. And so we look forward to that opportunity to hear God's word as he has given it to him. 
Also, as a part of our service and fellowship, uh, we're going to have a dinner right after service, and then right after that, a singspiration service. So it's going to be a, re a day of rejoicing um, in the Lord, and so we look forward to that. Let's pause now for a time of prayer. I ask you to just remain standing with me as we bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together. We thank you for um, bringing your people here in this place so we can hear your word and we can come and we can worship you. We pray that you be honored in all that we do. We would pray, Lord, that you would help those who are suffering and in bereavement. We think of Sister uh, Brenda Adams. We pray, Lord, that you would um, help her in the loss of her mom that uh, you would just um, bring comfort to her. She has been one to comfort many people. And we thank you for her spirit and, and uh, uh, her ministry and her gift. Now we pray, Lord, that you would comfort her in her time of, of loss. We pray, Lord, as she makes a plans to travel uh, to Tennessee, that you would just be with her. You would give safety to her and her daughter as they travel together. You would give um, allow her to continue to be that testimony uh, that she is to her family, to bring comfort, uh, to, to just share the comfort that comes only from you and comes from knowing you. And uh, that she might, uh, she might just be a, a light of the gospel to her family as they come together at this time. We do thank you for your many blessings and provisions. We thank you for this day and that uh, what we'll be um, uh, doing today as we worship, as we sing together, as we eat together, as we enjoy our time together, that you might be honored in all that we do. We thank you for our guests who are coming today. Um, and we pray, Lord, that we'll be welcoming them and we'll enjoy the fellowship together because of what we have in common. And that is our faith and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us. We thank you now. Be with Brian as he presents your word. Open our hearts to receive all that you have to say. Give us wisdom. Your Holy Spirit might use him and work through your word and through uh, his voice and through his message today to minister to us in every need that we have through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Name. I always think when I hear that song, I think about when Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. He says, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. And they said the voice thundered. So I always think about that song, especially when the men sing, thinking about God singing that song. Oh, Looks like I got the wrong notebook up here. Let me go to get the right one. I'm going to be preaching through Ephesians 5. I thank God for putting a word in my mouth. And understanding into my mind to be able to preach his word. I thank God for the opportunity to be able to preach. It's an honor to be able to preach. It's a burden. They say, the prophets say, God laid this burden on me. It's a burden to preach because 
you know that you want to speak the words of God. And you don't want to lead anybody to any error. You don't want to speak anything that will lead somebody astray. You want to, not only do you want to not do anything negative, you want to do everything positive. You want somebody to be saved. You want everybody to be encouraged. You want somebody that's sinning to be rebuked. You want people to lay down and cry if they're doing what's wrong. But you know what? It's God who does what he's going to do with his word. And as one preacher famously told me, that was that. You got to let God handle his word and what he do with it, that's his business. But he want me to preach his word faithfully. And we preach it from the book of Ephesians. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, six chapters, and when you try to understand God's word, you got to understand the main point. It's the main point that's the most important. And in Ephesians, the main point is in Ephesians 4, 1, when it says, walk worthy of the calling. That's the main point of the book. Walk worthy of the calling. What is the calling? Well, it's from God, our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. The calling is, in Christ we obtain an inheritance. The calling is that we were once dead, but God made us alive. The calling is that we were alienated, but that God made us now have peace with him. The calling is that we were given holy leaders, apostles, prophets, and leaders, because God loved us so much with a love that we can't even understand it. It cannot be comprehended. We cannot understand fully the love of God. All we can do is thank God for his love because there's no reason for him to love us specifically. He chose us. There's nothing. He could have chose somebody else better than us. Moses always said to the people, don't think that you're so special that God chose you. No, God chose you despite what you are. It's not like the gospel song, God saw the best of me, but everybody saw the worst. God saw the real in you, and it wasn't good. But God made the best in you when there was no best. He made one out of zero. That's what God did. And only God can create out of nothing. But that's the calling. And therefore, when we know all those things are the calling, we got to walk worthy. How do we walk worthy? We got to walk worthy in the fellowship of his church. That's, Roman, that's Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. He says, we are one. The first part of the chapter, he leads and says, we are one in the unity of the church. The unity of the church is where we get God's word and how it gets explained to us. That's why he gave us apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers so that we would have the word explained to us. So we wouldn't come to the word and say, yeah, I would obey it if I understood it. No. God says you will understand it because he has given you men to preach his word. And the next section he says, since he has given you men to preach his word, don't walk in the futility of your minds. Don't walk like you got to figure it out on your own when God has given you the answers. Instead of that, we come to our passage where he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's our whole passage today. Verse 1 is, if you write in a paper, it's your thesis. It's the whole point. If you miss anything, don't miss this. You can fall asleep after this if you want to, but you got to understand this. Be imitators of God as dear children. 
as beloved children. Imitate God. If you don't do nothing else, be like God. See, because we must be like our father to prove that we're legitimate children. See, my kids look like me. And when they do bad stuff, everybody look at me. Because they can see me doing that. Because my kids should act like me if I'm their father. And so our behavior should reflect the nature of our heritage. And the thing about it is, the verse is not just be imitators of God, but it says, as beloved children. Let's talk about that love part. We are beloved. We are beloved. You know, that's a hard thing for people to understand. I think people think they understand it, but they don't truly understand what it means to be beloved. What it means to be beloved is not how you have been in the world. Many people in this room, see, I'm blessed. I had, until a few weeks ago, four grandparents who was in relationships that they never messed around with each other, nothing like that. So we knew what it meant to be beloved. And our parents, they beloved. They loved each other, and there never was any doubt whether they loved us. So I kind of understood it from a worldly perspective, what it meant to be beloved. I understood the security of love. But if you didn't grow up in a godly household, you might not understand the security of love like I understood. Because you get in relationships and people love you for something. They have agendas. They can love you and fall out of love. Or they can fall into love. Or they can hurt you because they love you. You look at all the songs about love, and in the end, you start to understand people are confused about what love is. They don't know what it means to be beloved. Some people think, he hit me because he loved me. She let me hit her because she loved me. We rape because we love. We abuse because we love. We steal because we love. We lust because we love. But we have to understand this. That God's love means security. We imitate God as beloved children because we always have God to go back to. He is always there. We're beloved children because in biblical sonship and daughtership, the child takes up the work of the father. David was king. Solomon's job is to be king. Abraham was the prophet of God, and he had the people of God, so Isaac had to carry on the tradition and the work of his father that his father couldn't complete because he died. And Isaac had two sons, and it had to be chosen which son would carry on his work. And it's important for us to understand that it's not Esau that carried on his work. It's Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And many of them were wicked, but it was one son especially that carried on the work of prophecy, and that was Joseph. And Joseph had two tribes named under him, Ephraim and Manasseh, but it's not the fact that they were the literal sons of him. It's Moses who came from the tribe of Levi that continued the work of Joseph. 
And so we have to understand this. If you want to call Abraham your father, you want to call God your father, you want to call Moses your father, you must understand this. You have to be a child who continues the work of their father if you want to be a good child. We are the beloved children of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. Now, there's three things. The main point of the passage is three things by which we can imitate God. The first way we imitate God is by walking in love. Because God is love. If we're going to imitate a loving God, we must be loving. He says this. Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He said, love like Christ's love. It's a sacrificial love. In that verse, he says, he gave himself. There is nothing more valuable than he could give than his godly life. His divine life that he gave for us. He gave everything for us. And that's what love means. It means to give. But it's not just giving, it's an act of worship. He says, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And what that means is, if you look all the way back in Genesis, and look with me to Genesis chapter 8. Noah also gave a sacrifice. It says in verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And took some of every clean animal, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled a pleasing aroma, that's that fragrant aroma, he said, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. When God smelt the sacrifice, you get this idea that he went, <sighs> and he had a smile on his face. You can tell from the passage, can't you see? Look at the tone. You just see God like, oh, okay, yeah. That's not, if you read it like that, you're reading it wrong, right? He got a smile on his face here. And he's saying, ah, he said, you know what? Those are my kids. I know they're going to do wrong sometimes, but as long as the earth remains, I'm not going to ever destroy it with water. Now, the Lord will destroy the earth with fire next time. But as long as the earth remains, it is God who's keeping it. And that same kind of fragrant offering that the sacrifice of Noah made to the nose of God, that's the same kind of sacrificial love that Jesus did. In other words, we want to love in such a way that we put a smile on God's face. Just like Noah's sacrifice. Because a sacrifice is not just something that you give that takes from you. It's also an act of worship. And that's what love should be. Love is a selfless act of worship that we give everything for. That puts a smile on God's face. Now you can't talk about love without talking about the enemies of love. What are the enemies of love? Well, look at verse 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. Later on, he says, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. What are these things? 
or sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of marriage of a man and a woman. You know, you got to specify. I was, when I wrote my notes first, I just said any sexual immorality outside of marriage, but then I forgot, right? Two guys can walk to a courthouse now and think they got married. But the point is this. Sexual immorality is an enemy of love. Because what it does is it perverts love into lust. And it substitutes sacrifice for self-satisfaction. In the end, what it does is it turns every act of love into an act of self-pleasure. I put another word in my notes, but we got kids here, but you know what I mean. We have turned love into simply an act of making myself happy. And that's not what God made love to be. But sexual immorality perverts our minds and makes us think that when we please in ourselves, we please in God, and that's not the truth. And you got people think that because they sleep with somebody, they love them, and they'll come to you and say, you don't want me to love this other man? No, I want you to love him. I just don't want you to have sex with him, which are two different things. And it must be understood because I love my kids, but I do not sleep with my kids. I love my father. I don't sleep with my father. That's not even a thought. So why would that even be confused for love? And turn it around. You can sleep with anybody. You don't have to love them. That's what it means to look out there and say, oh, wow, that person attractive. In other words... I could sleep with that person. I don't necessarily love them. Like Snoop Dogg said, I don't love them, no. Right? You don't love them, but you can sleep with them. But that is not love. Don't confuse it. Don't even call it love making because it's not love. It's lust making. It's self-satisfaction. A lot of times the other person don't even care what happens to the other person. It's all about me. What's impurity? Impurity is evil. Anything that taints what is good and changes is purity. In other words, it's love with an agenda. It's manipulation. We got love with an agenda. I don't love you because of you. I love you because I want something. I have an agenda. It may not necessarily even be sexual. It's I love this person because that person has money. I love this person because they give me status. I love this person because they can give me something. And what's covetousness? Covetousness is greed, a desire to turn everything into gain. Love as a transaction, it turns love into prostitution. Every act of love is an exchange. I gave you a gift. You better give me a gift. I got you this Christmas. No, I'm not getting you next Christmas and let you get me something too. I gave you a present for your birthday. It better be a present for me on my birthday. It's an exchange. And it's improper for the saints. It's improper for saints because all these things pervert what is beautiful into something that's nasty. 
I can quote the song, they give love a bad name. Filthiness. What is filthiness? That's covered in dirt and waste, something you don't even want to touch. Foolish talk is just mere stupidity, right? Just people just talking any old crazy way. Crude joking is evil, dressed up as humor. And what we got is this. These things, the enemies of love are sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. But filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking, they their friends. They pervert normal interactions and pleasantry into something else entirely. In other words, I talk to a lady at, in the back of the church, and it should be communion and fellowship, and I'm staring below her neck the whole time. And what I have done is turn an interaction that should be a sharing of love into me being a weirdo and a pervert, right? And now she got to think about that, right? And now she's thinking, is this something? And now it's of temptation on her. Is this something we should go for? Now I've perverted because I'm filthy. Because I've said something foolish. Oh, I got a perverted joke to tell somebody. Because I have a joke, now that's tempting somebody else. And the fellowship that we should have, that should be good, we just put some dirt in it. And what it does is it turns the good into bad. And that's what Satan loved to do. Satan loves to turn things that are meant for good into bad. God made a whole garden for man. What Satan want to do? He'd have turned one tree into a temptation. Now, it could have been a beautiful flower in that garden. It could have been background. It could have been shade. It could have been a resting spot. But he turned it into a temptation. What Satan does is turn things that could be used for good into evil. Beautiful women, that's a good thing to be beautiful. Beautiful and handsome men, that's a good thing. But what God, what Satan do, he turns something that's beautiful that should be shared. It's not wrong to say, oh man, that person is a good looking person. Nope, that's not enough. I'm going to imagine me and that person. I'm going to lust on me and that person. And what happens is, if you notice it, like I said before, it goes into a self-satisfied manipulation type of prostitution that perverts love in every way that you can see it. And to the end, people say that they love these and they end up abusing them. Because when you talk to guys who are around, me and my brother was laughing about this. It's a song a rap song about how much they love these prostitutes. And in the end, the whole song is about how much they disrespect their prostitutes. And you got to say, if you love them so much, why you want to abuse them? And why are you bragging how much you abuse them so much? But that's what Satan does. Even people who please you, you seek to abuse. He said, get rid of those things. They're out of place and they're improper for saints. Instead, give thanks. Now, what does thanks do? Thanks takes the love that's what's tainted, and it takes the taint out of it. 
Because it's hard to lust and be thankful at the same time. It's really hard. I know somebody can try and succeed, but it's really hard to do. Thanks supports love and purity. Thanks cleans up tainted love. Thanks for what God has given you means that you cannot lust for something that God has not given you. Because you got to be thankful for what you have. I remember we as young men, we used to say when we used to have lust, we used to say to each other, you better lust for your wife. And people, we would laugh about that because you can't really lust for your wife. You really can't. Because as you think about the love that you have for your wife, it takes away feelings of lust. And slowly you start to realize that lust and sexual desire are two different things. They are completely different. You start to realize this, he says this in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexual immorality or moral, or impure, or covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Why? Because those are the enemies of God. And what happens to the enemies of God? They're not going to be in God's house with him. God will not stand by and let his enemies live. Every enemy of God is marked for death. So if these are the enemies of love, they're the enemies of God. And if they're the enemies of God, they won't make it into heaven, which means they are set for destruction. He said, you can be sure that you won't see these in heaven. He said, don't believe the lie. Look what he said. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a lot of people out there who want to talk about a gospel without judgment. If you really love people, you shouldn't be talking about judgment. But this is in a section that he talks about walking in love. He talked right about judgment. Because if God doesn't judge, he doesn't love us. Think about it. If I let you abuse my kids, do I love my kids? God will not let us be abused as his saints. What is he going to do to those who abuse us? Because he loves us, he will judge them. Those who seek to destroy us, which is Satan, which are all his people, God will judge. Don't be deceived. Don't be thinking there's a middle ground. There is no middle ground. Oh, yeah, I respect you Christians, but I'm not one of y'all. That's not how it works. Because when push comes to shove, you got to make a choice. You either with him. Or against them. And if God is seeking to destroy his enemies, what business do we have holding hands with? He says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't become partners with them. If you know God got a heat seeking missile, aim somewhere, don't be in the vicinity, right? People always, man, oh, you know, these terrorists got killed and a missile hit them and, and, and now some innocent people died too. How innocent are they? When they with the guy who's on TV one week saying he wants to kill all Jews and Americans and the next week he blown up. I wouldn't be with him. Sometimes these are choices that you have to make and I know they're hard choices whether to be blown up or not, but these are decisions that we want wise people to make. Don't be next to that, right? 
The same thing I say to people who go to the protest. Oh, I went to the protest and somebody beat me up. Well, you know, let's pray for wisdom together, brother, because God gives to all wisdom without reproach, right? Let's be wise. Let's understand. There's a second way of walking and imitating God. It says, imitate God by walking as children of light. Why? Because God is light. He says the fruit of light is good, right, and true. What is good? Everything that's beneficial and correct. What is right? It's the things that are straight. They're things that are correct. What is true? Honest and straightforward. So what is the fruit of life? Light? There are people who walk in a straightforward fashion who are open and live their lives open to other people. That's accountability, isn't it? That's openness, isn't it? That's honesty. That's no secrets. If you want to be a child of the light, that means you got to walk in the light. And what does that mean? People can see what I'm doing and I'm okay with that. The first step to walking as a child of the light is to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. He said, try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. What does discerning mean? It means to see distinctions between one thing and another. To discern means to see gradients. I can see where the shadow starts and where the light begins. I can see the difference between red and maroon. That's discernment. I can see the difference between baby blue and dark blue. That's discernment. It's something that you have to try to do because it takes effort, but it's not impossible. Every believer can do it, and the scripture says, as you keep doing it, you'll get better at doing it. And what you're trying to discern is what is pleasing to God. And and this is the thought that I get from this, because we often think about this, what can I get away with, instead of what makes God happy? And those are two different thoughts. And I'm tempted like that too. Man, what can I get away with today? Right? Ooh, this person make me mad. How can I get them back and nobody can figure out what I did? Right? I'm going to say something slick, but I'm going to make it seem like I didn't say it. I'm going to say it in such a way that if they ask me about it, I can say I said something else. And so what we end up doing is trying to be clever in how we get away with sin instead of saying to ourselves, how can I please God? In other words, going back to how we are to be like Christ, what puts a smile on God's face? Because God sees through our intentions. The second step to walking in the light is to take no part in sin but expose it. Now that's not popular. He says don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead, expose them. Don't participate in it. It's no fruit in it. It's no good and no joy. Whenever you want to sin, and I'm always tempted to sin, and you get tempted to sin, and what happens when you sin? You start to think, was that worth it? It wasn't worth it. Now all I feel is dirty. Now all I feel is an alienation from God. Now all I feel is a lack of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now all I feel is that I took three steps back. And Satan will lay out this great meal for you 
and it'll look so good, and when you bite in it, you'll be like, this is undercooked. This is undercooked. It looked so good, but it was raw meat. The more you eat it, the more problems you get. You start to think to yourself, this was not worth it. I'm sick for three days because I ate for five minutes. Why? Why am I doing this to myself? He says, take no part in it. Instead, expose it. Now, that's the unpopular part, expose it. But the truth of the matter is this, that if you don't expose sin, you play with sin. See? You can do one or two things. See, and, and people, we all have the temptation. I hear about so-and-so doing a sin. I can either expose it, or I can gossip about it, or I can keep it to myself. Two of those options are wrong. Now, exposure don't mean put it on Facebook, right? Exposure means the hard work of going to that person and talking to them. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I saw this. It didn't seem right. Now, tell me if I'm just seeing things wrong or if you need to be reproved from God's word. Hey, man, I did what was wrong. Let me confess to you. I'm not going to hide my sin. Oh, I hope they didn't see. No. I don't know if you saw, but what I did was wrong. And I'm sorry about that. Please forgive me. Because exposure leads to visibility. What you expose can be seen. And what can be seen can be transformed and worked on. It's just like working on a car or surgery on a human body. They can't do surgery until they expose what they're working with to the light. You don't want no darker doctor working in the darkness. Some of them be doing some work that seems like they is working in the dark, but you don't want that person to work on you. You want somebody who exposes what they do to the light. If somebody going to work on a car, they take the part out of the car, or they lift it up in such a way that they can see the part clearly, and they work on that part. But for some reason, we think we could take our lives and work on it in the shadows. That's not going to work. It's just like we were saved. He gives this quote, and I want you to be warned that this quote is not a direct quote from the Old Testament. It's a varied a number of verses that he puts together here. But he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And what he's talking about is when you got saved, weren't you in a sleep? It was like you was in a dream, like you were in another world almost. And God had to wake you up. And what's the best way to wake somebody up? Shine some light. He said you were dead. And who had to call you? Christ. And Christ, when he calls you and you dead, you don't sit there in the grave. You come out of that and you come to the light. And that's the process of salvation. It's the process to clear every sin. The last key to walking and imitating God is this. Imitate God by walking in wisdom. Because God is wise. What is wisdom? Verse 15, he says this. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The first step is self-examination. Do you think that everything you do is right? Well, I know I think like that, but that's why I be foolish sometimes, right? 
If I think that everything that I'm doing is right, then when I turn around and there's something wrong, that's foolish, right? So the first step to being wise is to realize that I'm not always wise. The second step to be wise is to walk with care. To walk with the anticipation that I could make a bad step. The third key to walking with wisdom is to make the best use of our time. To make the best use of our time. It's not doing something good. It's doing something good at the right time. Now, how many times you heard somebody say, oh, you know I was taking care of my mother. Why do you have to do it on Sunday morning? What you have done is substitute something good for something that is even greater. That's not wise. Make the best use of your time means use the best opportunity to do the best action. We only have so many hours in a day, so we have to prioritize. We all do. We have to say no to some things and yes to some other things. If I sit there on YouTube and watch YouTube, I can watch YouTube for eight hours straight. And so can you. You can watch TV, and next thing you know, the day is over, and you got to go to sleep. It can happen to you. I have had plenty of days where I said, I'm going to do A, B, C, D, and 3, and then I watch TV, and next thing I know, I didn't get anything done because I wasted time. And time is a resource that does not return. It's not like money. You can always make more money. You cannot always make more time. You got to understand God's will. He said, don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. Understand the will of God. And that's not hard is what he's saying. Because you got to start with what you know. You don't have to ask a question, should I kill somebody or not? Because God's word says, thou shalt not kill. Right? What God has made clear is always his will. Then you ask the people of God. People say, well, you know, I didn't know if I should date this person or not. Well, what did the people around you say? Well, all the people in the church said no, but I, let's stop there first. Let's stop. All the people who have wisdom in their life said no, so let's listen to them first. But I thought, all right, so you want to be foolish and not understand what the will of God is. Because God is clearly saying one thing, and you want to go the other way. Not being drunk. What does he mean by not being drunk? I think he's saying more than just alcohol here, even though alcohol is in question, right? But what he's saying is, don't be filled or manipulated or moved by something other than the Holy Spirit. That could be a TV show. That could be a political movement. That could be a political party. That could be drugs. That could be drinks. That could be food. That could be your mama. That could be your kids. But if it fills you and moves you, it had better be the Holy Spirit. Because his last key to being wise is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know everybody thinks they know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they really don't. I hear a lot of people saying they're jumping up and down and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. But he gives four keys to being filled with the Holy Spirit. The first one is worshiping at church. Look what he said there, look. He said, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That don't mean walking around singing all day. I mean, if you want to do that, that's on you. But that's not what he's meaning. He's saying, go to church and praise. Go to church and praise. That's wise. The second one is, he says, don't make it just outside. 
bacon inside. Praise-filled hearts. Don't just praise and then be looking, oh, why am I here? Praise in your heart, too. I've seen lots of beautiful voices and terrible hearts. And I really don't want to hear that praise. I would rather hear a mediocre voice with a heart full of praise than a voice of an angel in the heart of a devil. Thanks-filled hearts. We want to have hearts that are filled with thanks. Thanking God. Listen, if you thank God, you can't help but start to be filled with the Holy Spirit. People always say, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Start listening to things you're thankful for that God has done for you. And you will soon feel that the Lord is filling you up. And the last thing is submitting to one another. Not out of fear of man, but out of fear of Christ. The idea is, I'm not, women are not submitting to their husbands because their husband is so big and bad. Women are submitting to their husband because Christ is behind him and they're saying, Christ, I'm obeying you. He might be a fool. Think about Abigail, married to an actual fool. Who, his name meant fool. Did she come home and say, now listen what I had to do? Uh-huh. David came over here trying to kill you, and I had to save you once again. No. Right? That's not the lesson. That's not the word. She's submitting to Christ. Submit to Christ. He might be a fool, but that's okay. That's your fool. Submit to him. The same, all these relationships, and we start to see that as it goes into Ephesians, right? Wives, submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. The husband, if he feel like he ain't got to love his wife, it's almost like you got this feeling that Christ, he got that back. You better love that woman, boy. Oh, man, Christ, please be gentle on me. No, love her. It's not an option. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. It's not an option. Fathers, love your children. That's not an option. Bond servants, submit to your masters. That's not an option. I mean, you can't go to work and have a bad attitude and think you're being a good Christian. That's not an option. And you can't go to work abusing your people and think you're being a good Christian. That's not an option. See, the big picture of Ephesians is that this fits into how we walk to the calling that God has given us. See, I want to tell you something, though. This is not a walk. This is not a run. It's a walk. People often want to run, and when they hear a good thing from God's word, they want to go out there and sprint. And I'm telling you, don't do that. This is long-term, character-defining stuff. It's not short-term. It's not something that you should get tired of. It's something that can characterize you. Everybody has a certain gait, a walk. I used to know when my dad was walking up the stairs versus when my mom was walking up the stairs because they had a way of walking. And so it should be for us. We have a way of walking. We should be walking in love, in light, and in wisdom. And if that doesn't characterize our walk, we're doing it wrong. Because the love can be characterized, we can be judged by these things. We have to walk in love because God is love. And we can't confuse love for lust or taint it with our desires. It has to be sacrificial. We must walk in light because God is light. 
and there's no middle ground between light and darkness. We have to walk wisely because God is a God of wisdom. We can't fool ourselves into following only the letter, but not the being filled with the Spirit. That's what foolishness is. Foolish Christians are people who think because what they're doing is not in a verse that they is okay. And when you look at this passage, you start to understand that God is not playing around with us. Look at all the absolute words in this passage. Verse 3, sexual immorality and these things must not even be named. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness. Verse 5, for you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexual immoral or impure or covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 11, take no part. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. Verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. These are absolutes, and what he's saying is, this is a passage that does not allow negotiation. We have to walk this way. And we have to walk this way because Christ walked this way. Christ taught us how to love, in verse 2, because he sacrificed himself. We have to understand that if we don't love, if we pervert love, we will be judged because he is returning in verse 5. You can be sure of this, that when Jesus comes back, these people ain't getting in. Verse 14, we got to understand that his resurrection means there's hope even for those who are locked in prisons of darkness. And in verse 17 and 20, it says this, he reigns today. So therefore, since Christ is standing among us, don't ignore him and act like he's not there because he is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and your truth, Lord. We pray that you just bless us to walk according to your ways. We want to walk, Lord. We want this to be a long-term pattern. We want, don't want this to be something that we try to do on Monday and we get tired of Tuesday. We don't want this to be like some diet fad, Lord. This is our walk. So help us to walk according to your ways. In your name we pray. Amen.